So last week, as we left the service, I asked for prayer for the uh, board vision retreat that we had uh, yesterday, um, and it went really, really well. Uh, we had great conversations, great thinking, great dreaming, great planning. Dreaming doesn't mean we slept. That didn't happen. Um, but, but great praying over what God is doing in this church, what we want to see him do. Uh, so it was a good day. Wrote a lot of things down, and we'll be sharing more in the coming weeks uh, as we kind of put all the pieces together that we discussed yesterday. So thank you. Thank you for praying. Um, we're excited to see where God takes uh, his church in Three Lakes next. Um, if you're joining us after Easter, uh, we've been looking at the book of Job. Uh, then we took a month off uh, in March to kind of get our hearts ready for Good Friday and Easter. Always a good thing to do to prepare ourselves well for that. But we are back at it in Job. So to catch you up, this is kind of where it's been. Uh, we have been looking at a man who God says, there's nobody like him. He's a righteous man. And to which Satan says, uh, the only reason Job is righteous, the only reason Job follows you is because you bless him. You give him the good stuff. He's got a big family. He's got riches. Everybody knows who he is. And if you take those things away from him, he will curse you. And so those things are taken from Job. But Job doesn't curse God. Interestingly enough, he praises God, but of course he's mourning and he's sorrowful, and in come three of Job's friends. And Job's friends sit with him, and for a while they're silent, which is great. They're just, they're just, they're just like being with him. A good thing to do when people are grieving, just, just be there. But then they've got to talk. They've got to start saying things. And what they had to say is basically, Job, this is all your fault. And they don't bring him comfort. They just make everything worse. So this section of Scripture we're going through this morning is Job 22 through 27. This is the last, I would say it's a cycle of speeches between Job and his friends. There is a fourth friend that's coming up. We're not, we haven't seen him yet. He'll, he'll be really soon. But, but this is the last set of speeches where Job is interacting here with his friends and, and, and trying to figure this thing out. And so I thought, you know, to cover 22 through 27, like that's a lot of chapters. I'm not going to read all that. But I thought what we could do is, what if we set up Job as a Twitter argument? You think that would work? Maybe. Okay. Well, I don't know if it's going to work or not, but we're going to try it. Okay. So I would advise you to open your Bibles to Job 22, and we'll have a little bit of fun today, and then we'll make a few conclusions. If you're looking for Job, it's right before Psalms. Psalm tends to be right in the middle of your Bible, so the one before that. And you're looking for Job 22. So sticking to the 140 characters or less, isn't that the current standard for Twitter? Um... If Job and his friends were arguing over Twitter, maybe this is what it would look like. Okay? Eliphaz speaks first. We'll bring up Eliphaz here. Oh, the three Z's. That's so cool. Um, okay. God knows what you did, Job, so come clean and get your old life back. Hashtag God told me this. Now, what you got to know about Eliphaz, Eliphaz and, and the hashtag is very, very important because Eliphaz is kind of a mystic. He's kind of a, uh, God tells me things and then I want to tell you what God told me. He's an experiential kind of guy. He has an experiential spirituality. Now, 
in a sense, this is interesting because in a few short chapters later, Job's going to have a God experience, right? Job's going to hear from God, but not yet. So until now, Eliphaz has been speaking for God to Job. God wants you to know, and I'm here to tell you, that God knows what you did. So you need to come clean, and you need to get your old life back. Let me show you uh, in chapter 22 where Eliphaz says this. Uh, if you look at chapter 22, uh, 23 through 25, verse 23 through 25, uh, Eliphaz says, If you return to the Almighty, you will be restored. If you remove wickedness far from your tent and assign your nuggets to the dust, your gold of Ophir to the rocks and the ravines, then the Almighty will be your gold, the choice is silver to you. So Eliphaz says, if you would just confess your sin, and I know you've got some, and repent of whatever terrible thing that you did, then God would forgive you, and he would give you all your good stuff back. You know, you would have a great restoration in your life. And isn't life all about all the stuff that you have? So confess to God, get your stuff back. This is, uh, this is not the first time Eliphaz has said this, of course. He does this throughout the book. You'll see, him, you'll see him keep coming back to this. Now, what will Job say to Eliphaz on this? Let's pull up Job. Here's Job's response. Job says, I am clean. I keep honoring God, but he keeps on terrifying me. I feel so far away from him. There, there's a point in chapter 23 where Job's like, where is God? And, and, I, and I wish I could talk to him. Then he kind of thinks about it and he says, well, then again, if I did talk to him, it would probably scare me to death because everything God has done has been terrifying. Everything God has done in my life has been hard and bitter and rough. Let me show you where Job says this. Chapter 23, verse 15 and 16. Check this out. Chapter 23, 15 and 16. Job says, That's why I'm terrified before him. When I think of all this, I fear him. God has made my heart faint. The Almighty has terrified me. Job is a guy who has more than just the fear of the Lord. He has the terror of the Lord in his words. He's terrified of this God and everything that he has done. So when he's talking to Eliphaz, Eliphaz says, come clean. Job says, I am clean. But even though I am clean, I am righteous, God has still terrified me with all of these terrible things that have happened. But he has one more thing to say to Eliphaz, and that's in chapter 24. We'll pull up that, that tweet. Here we go. Uh, Job says, Eliphaz, take a look at the world. In my humble opinion, God's punishment for bad guys is way late. Hashtag better late than never. Now, um, that's important. The hashtag is very, very important here, but I want to show it to you first. So if you look at 24, uh, if you look at like verse 1 of 24, um, Job says, Why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? Now here's what Job's getting at. He's kind of like, Eliphaz, all of the things you've said are all directed at me. Like, Job, you're a bad guy. Job, repent. Job, you did something bad. You did something terrible. It's always Job, Job, Job. But, but Job says, why don't you look at everybody else in the world? Why don't you take the focus off of me and look at bad guys, people that do bad things in the world, and we all know who they are. And Job goes through a list of them. Like, he starts listing the bad guys, the thieves, 
the murderers, the sexually immoral. Like, like he has a whole list of the bad guys. And he's like, you notice that God doesn't just jump in and, and judge them right away? Like he says in verse 1, why does the Almighty not set times for judgment? Why must those who know him look in vain for such days? He's like, I know bad people, and they're still doing their bad stuff. God's judgment seems to be a little late. Uh, if you want to jump down to verse uh, 24, uh, let's see. He lists all the different sinners, you know. All through chapter 24, it's like, this guy sins, this guy sins, she sins. And then he gets to 24, and he says, for a little while they're exalted, and then they're gone. They're brought low, and they're gathered up like all the others. They are cut off like heads of grain. If this is not so, who can prove me false and reduce my words to nothing? And this is where I get the hashtag. And I think this is very important. He's like, God is late in judging, and I've got an issue with that. Okay, that's what Job is saying. Now, that's a, that's a kind of a dangerous thing to say about God. Like, God, you're not doing your job of judging correctly. Like, Job, I'm not okay with you saying that, but this is what Job says. This is one of those stupid things Job says. God, where are you, and why aren't you dealing with things the way I think you should deal with them? But the hashtag is, better late than never. And this is a, ho- you laughed at it, but it's a, it's a hopeful hashtag. And this is why. Listen. I see in this, Job is saying, but even if God is later than I think he should be, at least I know he's going to deal with the wicked. At least I know there is a judgment. At least I know he's not going to let it go forever. Better late than never. And you see a little bit of hope. And maybe there's a little bit of hope even in this. Um, that, that if God, listen to this, if God sometimes lets evil people get away with it for a while, if God, if some criminals can fly under the cover of the cops and the FBI for a while, then maybe, maybe I'm under the cover a little bit too, and even though I'm righteous, maybe at some point I'll get rewarded late in the game as well. You see what he's doing? If their punishment is late, maybe my reward is a little bit late too. I got your birthday gift. I forgot to send it. It's coming. No, my birthday was last week. You know, it's just a little late. It's belated. It's belated. But maybe God's a belated God. That's where Job's going with this. And there's a little bit of hope there that things will turn around. Okay. Uh, now, you get uh, Bildad jumps in. Now, Bildad is the second friend. Oh, you're going to love this. Okay. So, here's Bildad. Uh God is mighty, humans are maggots, hashtag listen to the tradition. That's it. That's it. Uh, when you get to build dad, look at chapter 25 in your Bibles. It, it should be about this big, okay? Like, it's, he doesn't, build dad is running out of things to say. That, that, that's a feeling I get when I read it, okay? I'm like, build dad, you've got chapter 25 and you've got six verses. Now look at verse six. You know, um, or look at verse 5 and 6, we could say. If even the moon is not bright, or the stars are not pure in his eyes, how much less a mortal who is but a maggot, a human being who is only a worm. But he starts by talking in verse 2 about dominion and awe belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of the heavens. Um, can his forces be numbered? On whom has his light not risen? So, um, 
Bildad just does two things. Job, listen, listen. God's a big God. He's mighty. But you're like a worm. You're just a maggot. Now, Bildad, um, his deal is he listens to the, the um, traditions, the wise fathers, capital D for dad and Bildad, right? You know, he listens to the dads of old, the, the, the fathers of tradition. You get it? Listen to tradition. That's his mantra. I heard because my dad told me, because his dad told him, because a wise man once said, God's mighty, humans are maggots, that explains everything. God doesn't care about you because, Job, you are like nothing before him. He's got so much power. That's Bildad. Good friend. Good friend. Um, And Job says to that, what a great counselor you are. (laughs) Uh, You know that God uses his mighty power. Like, you want to talk about mighty power? You know that God uses his mighty power to bring order to the universe. I almost said galaxy. That's a Star Wars thing, right? That's like Darth Vader. That's bad. Um, uh, the Job replied. This is, this is chapter 26 now, okay? Uh, chapter 26, verse 2. Uh, how you have helped the powerless. How you've saved the arm that is feeble. Can you? It's like dripping with sarcasm. Like you are of no help to me at all. I'm the weak guy, and you're just digging it all in. This is terrible. But then, what's interesting is, um, if you look at verse 11 through 13 of 26, chapter 26, 11 through 13, he says, uh, The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. By his power he churned up the sea. By his wisdom he cut Rahab to pieces. By his breath the skies became fair. His hand pierced the gliding serpent. The idea is this. God is a God that brings order to chaos. So Job sees that that, that God is a God who, when evil is happening, God will oppose it. He'll fight against it. That's the kind of God that he is. He brings order to your life. And I would say that's true, right? I mean, God does bring order. Like, he does bring good into our life. But there's one more response Job has in the next chapter, and I think this is very important. God is a mighty... So, Bildad says, God's a mighty God, and you're a maggot, Job, and all of us are maggots. And then Job says, basically, God is a mighty God, but he uses all of his power for our good, doesn't he? He doesn't treat us like maggots. He treats us like like human beings that he loves. He brings order to us. This is good. He's a good God. But the next chapter, Job says, we'll pull that up, but God's order in my life, not so much. All I have left is my integrity. Hashtag God will smite you too. Um, Now, you say, that's not very, uh, that is not very mature, Job, but it's basically what he does. I mean, Job basically says in 27, um, well, check it out for yourself. Chapter 27, Job says, as surely as God lives, who has denied me justice. The Almighty who has made my life bitter. You see what he's saying? God brings order to the universe and to our world, but not so much me. He hasn't given me what I deserve. Uh, He says, as long as I have life within me, the breath of God in my nostrils, oh my goodness, my lips will not say anything wicked, my tongue will not utter lies, I will never admit that you are right. Till I die, I will not deny my integrity. I will maintain my innocence and never let go of it. 
My conscience will not reproach me as long as I live. Job is like, to my dying breath, I will tell you that I don't deserve what's happened to me. My children should not be dead. I should not be a poor man. I should not be riddled with disease. To my dying breath, I will declare this. And then he gets a little bit, he gets a little bit mean, you know, like with the hashtag here. Like, that's not nice. Uh, and you, you can see it in uh, verse, verse 7, you see it, really. I mean, just, just look at this. May my enemy, <clears throat> you Bildad and, and, and uh, Eliphaz, may my enemy be like the wicked, my adversary like the unjust. You see that? There's your hashtag. God's going to get you too. You think he's going hard on me? Wait till he deals with you. There's a little bit of an edge there to Job, okay? A little bit of an edge there. Now, as you know, uh, there are three friends that are talking to Job right now. And the last guy's name is Zophar. Let's bring up Zophar. Let's bring up Zophar. There's nothing there, you know? Like, look at chapter 28. You know, Zophar doesn't say anything. Job just keeps, he does this hymn for wisdom. So, so Zophar is a big blank. It's crickets. Now, who is Zophar? If you remember from weeks ago, uh, Zophar is like the voice of logic. Like, I'm using my intellect, I'm using my brain, and I'm going to figure out what's happening to you, Job. And Zophar says nothing. He's bowed out. He shut his phone off and put it down. Twitter argument over. And you know what that means? Logic has no more to say about suffering. There's no more answers that logic can give to explain why this is happening. Turn the phone off. This is what I know. This is what I know about Job here. You can see that Job's, his demeanor, his view of God is becoming more and more negative throughout the book. I mean, I love the Job in the first chapter that says, uh, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I will return. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken away, may the name of the Lord be praised. I love that Job, you know. I'm at the bottom and I'm praising God. But as I go through the book of Job, you ought to notice, and I know I notice, he gets more and more negative about God. Where is God? I don't see him. God, you're distant. You're terrifying. God, your justice is way too slow for me. So can I just deal with that for a moment? It is totally normal in times of suffering, in times of difficulty, for your view of God to get messed up. That's number one. You can pull that up. Bad life experiences can wreck your view of God. I think we just need to like be able to admit that. When I talk to a friend, when I talk to somebody who is struggling under some sort of really difficult time, some trial, some bad thing, this is one of the first things I always talk about with them. Who's God to you right now? What's God like? And they will often, not always, 
often they will describe God in ways he not actually he's not actually that way. He's distant. He's cold. He seems uncaring. I don't see him answering my prayers. But I know that God is caring and he is close. That he binds up the brokenhearted. I know that's God. But in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the furnace, it is very easy like Job, to say, to, to get your view of God messed up. I remember, um, I remember hearing Andy Stanley talk about this, Pastor Andy Stanley, and I, I love the, I the um, example he gave. He said, what happens is when you suffer, is a lot of us have this view of God that is, he, he calls it the bodyguard God. The bodyguard God. That God exists to keep me safe. He exists to protect me from harm. Some of you grew up with a bodyguard God. And, and, and yeah, you, your, your parents prayed for protection. You always heard them pray. Give us the hedge of protection and, and, and whatever other lingo we use to describe that whole, that whole thing. God's a bodyguard God. God, heal us from our diseases. We know you want us healed. And then when we didn't see it happen, when you didn't see it happen, bodyguard God seemed very unreliable unfaithful, didn't answer your prayers the way you thought, didn't get onto your agenda the way you thought. And the good news about all of that, with, there's a lot of bad news there because a lot of people have left the church, left God because of that view. But the good news is that view was never true to begin with. Yet God does protect us. Yes, I pray before I travel. Yes, when my kids get sick, I pray about it. When you get sick, I pray about it. Yes, like on Easter, we brought up Ruth Schatz, and she shared about two aggressive cancers that God had healed. Yes, amen, and praise God, he did it. He does do those miracles. But what if, what if he doesn't do the exact miracle that you thought he was going to do? What if he doesn't protect you physically the way you thought he should protect you physically? What if he does a different thing other than that? And that messes with our view of God. And you see it in Job. His view devolves. Let me... Uh, when we were in Uganda, on the last night I was in Uganda, <clears throat> I had dinner with uh, my good friends Daniel and Erica Kagwa. They took me to this really nice restaurant that was uh, close to the airport. We left really early because we didn't want to get to the airport late and we didn't want anything to delay us. thought that was very smart. Had a really nice, it was like a candle-lit meal. Really nice place they took me to. Um, I wanted to pay. They insisted. They bought my meal, which was, which was wonderful and, and so hospitable. And then we went to the airport. It was getting late. I think my flight flew out at midnight. And uh, it was dark. And we got to the airport a little bit before 10 p.m. their time. And as we pulled in, you know, there were some armed guards and we all had to get out of the van. And I was like, well, this is interesting, you know, and they kind of talked to us and I don't know. Uh, but we got in and I, we got to the doors where you, the glass doors where you walk in to the airport to go through security. And they were like literally about to lock the doors for the night. Whoops. <laughs> okay. Um, we were a little late. I guess we talked a little bit too long over dinner. You know, my fault, their fault. I, I don't know. We, we just... We just talked too long. We were enjoying our conversation. So we got there, and I just got in before they were locking the doors. 
So, so because of that, I mean, I wanted to take a, I wanted to take a picture with the three of us. That didn't happen. It was just like, get in there, get through security, and, and, and get on your flight, you know. So I went in, and, and by the way, maybe you're wondering, uh, Christy went, came later than me. So I, I was alone at that time, uh, coming back. And I remember rushing in, and I was nervous, because now I'm kind of like, you're all like red alert, right? You're like, oh, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late. I've never been late for a flight. And so I'm like rushing in, and I'm heading towards the security of the scanner, the metal detector. And, you know, I, I know how it goes in the United States. You take off, like, everything. All, all of your personal clothing, it just all comes off when you go through the metal detector. It's embarrassing, you know. Um, <clears throat> I got scolded by the lady, actually, last time I flew. But that has nothing to do with this story. Um, like, you told me to take my belt off. It's your fault. Um, okay. Um, that really happened. Okay. Uh, and I wasn't planning on saying it until I just said it. So, okay. So, I was, I was all nervous, you know. And there's the metal detector. It's, like, right there. i got to walk through that rectangle of, of, of get, being able to get onto the plane. And, and so, I'm, like, taking off my shoes, you know. The belt's coming off. And, and then, I, and then I, I was taking off my watch. And I'm just fumbling, you know, and I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to get this off. And I drop my watch on the hard floor, and, and it stops ticking, and I'm like, oh, great. You know, I broke it. You know, this is I was going so fast trying to get through the security. So I took my watch, you know, and I just popped it in my pocket, and, and you know, I'll deal with it later. <clears throat> and then hopped on the flight. So um, on the flight, I pull out my watch, and I'm kind of looking at it. And it's scuffed up, and I'm like, oh, man, that was a gift. Scuffed it up. <clears throat> and it's not ticking anymore. And so I'm kind of messing with it and, and kind of poking at it. And I got to start working again, which is really good. And then I set my watch, you know, and I'm like, I wonder what time zone I'm going into. I have no idea, you know. So I'm just kind of setting it, you know. And then I landed in Amsterdam, and I'm like, I wonder what, what time it is here, you know. Um, and I recalibrated my watch, and it, and it kept ticking. Um, my point. When, when life bumps into you, when you get jostled and hit, whether it's a big blow or a small one, uh, we're a lot like the watch. You know, we, we just stop working correctly when we get bumped. And we have to recalibrate after we get bumped. We have to get reset. We have to get fixed up a little bit. But something has to happen to, to get our view of God back to where it should be. We have to recalibrate our view of God. And the only way that I know how to do that, and I think you know it too, you know where I'm going with this, is we've got to read our Bibles. The only way I know to recalibrate my view of God is to open my Bible and say, God, this is going on in my life, but what do you say is true of you? And then I can put those two things together and I let, I let the Bible speak into my life. I make the Bible my authority. Otherwise, otherwise, if I, if I let life speak into my view of God, I end up judging God according to my standards of what life is supposed to be. You see that? I make myself a judge of God if I let my life tell me what I should think about Him. Or I can open my Bible and let the Bible tell me what I should think about my life. And what's going on. Some people think, again, that God is the great bodyguard. Good Friday tells me that's not true. Right? If God is the great bodyguard God, Christ would never have suffered as a righteous man in your place. 
Good Friday should debunk that view of God. Good Friday should recalibrate us. The Bible should recalibrate us. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying we read our Bible and, and shut ourselves off from all of our life experience and just say, God, tell me who you are. I'm just going to look at this. No, no. I mean, read this with people. Do it in community. Don't do it just by yourself. You need them too to talk about this. Because when I have someone up here, like last Sunday, who talks about being healed of cancer and yet her husband was not healed of cancer, that gives me balance. That, that gives me a full view of God who can do a miracle in this way and for this one do a different kind of miracle. This one was a body healing. This one was a heart healing. God can do that. But it might not be your agenda or my agenda. It's going to be his agenda. But I know that he loves me. And I know he's close to me. And I know he's binding up the brokenhearted. I know that he's recalibrating our views when we get bumped. I know that's the God that he is. So don't let difficulty take you out of this book. Don't let it happen. <clears throat> Uh, in conclusion, I, I guess what I'm saying is all of us are theologians. You know, theology is the study of God, math is study of numbers, grammar is study of words, social studies, you're studying history, science, you're studying the world around us, you're studying it, what God has made. But theology is the study of the Creator. And we're all theologians, whether you like it or not. All you kids, you're all theologians. You all have thoughts about God. May your thoughts be accurate according to this book. And so let me say, and may you respond in this way. I know that God is good and all the time. Lord Jesus, you are good. And you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. What you were for Job is what you are for us. And so I pray for those who come in here, bumped into, fallen on the ground, not ticking correctly. Would you help us recalibrate into what you are? to see you accurately, the invisible God in our mind's eye. May we know Jesus in a close relationship where we can see Him in our mind, hear His words in the Scripture, picture Him laying His hands on the sick, comforting the grieving, caring for others, paying for our sins. May we know Him better and better in the days and weeks and months to come. We thank You for the example of Job, maybe even in this negative example of Job's devolving view of God. But we know the end of the story has not been covered yet, at least amongst us as we're talking about it. We're thankful that you are the same. You are the same for him and you're the same for us. 
may we respond well as your people to that truth. In your name, amen.